welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Endurance Horse Podcast. Today is December the 1st, 2019. In this episode, we're going to hear from Minnesota, England, Idaho, New Zealand, Virginia, Canada, California, and Iowa. Two, I think at least two of the riders, this is their first time sending in. We also have Dr. Mel Newton sharing an excerpt from her new book, and we will add links to that in the show notes. So it's been a kind of a busy month. I'm hoping to do one more episode in December. So if you've been thinking about sending in, email endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com, and I will send you instructions on how to send in. Please be sure to check our Facebook group called Endurance Horse Podcast. A lot of times you'll be able to put a face to the voice as people do share photos and videos on there. So I don't know how November went for you guys. It was pretty busy for us. Lots of things filled the calendar, lots of commitments. I seem to maybe (laughs) plan all the kids' dentist, eye appointments, everything in November. I must save it all up for the end of ride season and then we just go get all those things done. So we had all kinds of appointments like that. We had different training I had to go to for my job. The random cat, I think some of you are aware of, finally got a name. His name's Biddles. Or itty bitty naughty kitty, and uh, he's quite the cute little little terror. We had a dinner here the day after Thanksgiving with my family, and we did painting um, for the activity for the kids. One of my former foster sons, who's now in his thirties, came to dinner with his family, and now he has two little kids, and they were so excited to see the horses, and um, it was so good to see him again. He lives like two hours from us, and. Just made it a super, super special day. Him and I have so many fun memories together with the horses. And November just seems like the harvest time. It's a good time of year to stop and look back on how good the year was. And it it really was a special year. I am going to step out into ride management this year in July. And I will tell you a little bit more about that ride at the end of the podcast in the outro. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Without further ado, I bring to you episode 30 of Endurance Horse Podcast. Hi, my name is Sarah Carlson, and I'm from Motley, Minnesota, which is in north-central Minnesota. And I started endurance riding in 2016. I did my first two novice rides. And then in 2017 is when I started in earnest. But um, I should probably back up and share a little bit about um, my journey with horses. I grew up on a farm um, north of where I live now, and... Um, rode horses with my older brother Um, and um, we ended up moving into town when I was in middle school and I kept my horse for a while I used to ride my bike a couple miles to where I boarded him and then it just got to be 
um, where that didn't work. So I ended up selling him. Um, but I always knew I, every time I would see a field of horses, I'd be like, oh, there's horses. And I just, I just always knew I wanted horses again. And after, um, um, I was married and I had two little kids and I was working full time and I had gone back to school to get my master's degree. And when I, uh, graduated with my master's, I thought, hmm, I'm getting myself a horse for, for, uh, my gift to me. So, um, that was probably, oh, I don't know, um, 15 or so years ago. And I bought this seven-year-old gelding named Rebel. And, um, he was green broke. So he was seven as a quarter horse that's green broke. You kind of, I always scratched my head afterwards, like one, his name was Rebel and two, he was a green broke seven-year-old, but he taught me so much about, um, horses and riding. And I became such a better rider because of him. He, um, he was a very powerful horse and loved to trot. He could trot faster than any horse I'd ever ridden. And um, he also loved to do a 180 just whenever he felt like it. So you learn to have a really good seat um, by riding him. And because he had that great big trot, and I loved to trail ride, so I would take my friends and my kids and we would go out riding and people would, I, I usually ended up being the trail guide cause I have a good sense of direction. And, um, people would be like, how much longer? And I'd be like, what do you mean? Why, why would anybody want to quit riding? I mean, let's just ride all day. And so I, I got a reputation of, you know, making sure they got a commitment for me about how many hours we were going to ride before we went. So because I just love to ride all the time, I heard about endurance riding from a friend of mine. And as I, um, I think I watched some videos online and I got, there's two books um, about endurance riding. Um, they're kind of the classic, I can't remember the names of them off the top of my head, but um, books on endurance. And I bought those maybe 10 or 12 years ago now. And I read them cover to cover multiple times over the years. And I even went to a clinic um, in Minnesota. Sometimes they have clinics. And I went to a clinic that I actually took my my horse Rebel to and we did a mock ride and it just, I loved it, but I I was so busy. And, um, you know, I took all my, I took my kids and my nieces and nephews and I just thought, boy, I'm not sure if we can pay to ride these trails when we go out and ride for free now. So I just, I just never really, um, looked into it. And then, um, you know, my kids got really busy with 4-H and all kinds of things and I didn't have a lot of time. So after, um, my daughter moved to college, um, and my horse Rebel was getting older, he's 24 now. Um, I thought, you know, it's time for me to get another horse, and I know that I want to do endurance. Um, and so I started looking for an Arabian. So I brought um, some friends of ours, raised Arabians, and I got this nice little mare from them. She was seven, and she had not been really handled at all. Um, so she wasn't really even halter broke. 
Um, and I actually started her from the ground, did the groundwork. I got her going under saddle and she was just super sweet. Um, her name is Grace. Um, she ended up falling on the ice that winter or the following winter. And so she's just never really been sound. She, um, I tried to compete on her for a couple of years. And then this last spring I took her to the vet and we did x-rays and she's got some arthritis in her hocks. So she's going to be a, a trail horse. I actually own seven horses. I started this season with four, but, um, when, when Grace was out, um, we had also this beautiful chestnut mare that we'd gotten from the same, same family um, that was my daughter's 4-H horse. And she was, I think she was at the time, she was like maybe 11. And I just didn't even consider using her for endurance because she has this huge trot that is just super hard to ride. And I thought, there's no way I can ride her for 25 miles. Um, I'll die. So that was why I had gotten Grace. Well, then after Grace got injured and I had, um, I had hooked up with a mentor, Angie Mickelson is, uh, is my mentor and just been emailing her and I joined the green beams program and I was so excited to ride. And I thought, well, I guess I'm going to ride one of the horses in my pasture. So I took, um, I call her Mia um, out of the pasture and we started um, conditioning on her and I started trying to figure out how to how to post her trot. I took a few lessons from a local instructor and um, tried several different saddles but I got her ready to go and I took her to the first ride of that season in 2000 um, would have been 2017 I took her to Mindra One which is a, a ride um, in Minnesota, it's the first one. And I did 25 miles and that was rough. I was using a, I was using a Bob Marshall saddle and the stirrups just, they were either too long or they were too short I, because of the way they adjust. And um, my knee was really sore afterwards and I just couldn't quite get the right um, connection in that saddle. So the second ride of the year, I switched saddles into the saddle I'd been riding um, my gelding in all those years, and things went a lot better after we did that. We um, That first year, she did, um, gosh, we did several LDs, and then um, she did 350s that year. That was kind of my goal was I wanted to, I wanted to ride 50 miles and um, she did her first 50 miler at uh, Charity Cup, which is a ride um, just 10 minutes from my house. It's at Pillsbury State Forest in Minnesota. It's a gorgeous ride, um, lots of trees and hills and it's, it can be a little rocky in places, but um, that was the best feeling um, to finish that 50 miles. And then we went out and did another 50 at one of my other favorite places, which is the Matahe ride. Uh, Matahe is out in Western North Dakota and my mom and my kids and I have been riding in Western North Dakota for 10 plus years. We go at least once a year and it's just beautiful country. So I think um, if you haven't gone to the Matahe ride, you need to put that one on your bucket list because it is gorgeous and it's now I think scheduled the last weekend in June um, so 
I'd say check that one out. She finished that season with three 50 milers and um, we had entered the AERC Rookie Award and we finished third place that year as Rookie Endurance and we also finished third place in Rookie Limited Distance. Um, So I thought that was kind of cool. Then in 2018, um, so I was still trying to ride Grace, but she was just always, um, just seemed sore, didn't seem quite right. So we didn't compete at all on Grace in 2018. And um, Mia and I did, um, I think we, I think we did three or um, 300 miles, six different fifties that we completed um, in, in 2018. And then this year, um, she did her first 50 of the year at Mindra One, and then she injured herself at Border Battle. She popped her check ligament. And I think um, the more I've learned after, after that's happened is that um, you don't really want to let a horse use that great big trot. You need to um, keep them in a slower trot because that can be really hard on, on, their, on their ligaments. So... Um, she um, likes to trot fast, and she doesn't really like to canter, so um, that's something we'll have to work on as we um, as we work on getting her back into competing next year. So um, I told you I'd I'd sent in some audios a couple days ago about the Iron Oak ride where I got a I got after she injured herself I got a new horse Seamus. And so I kind of already shared Seamus' story. Um, so I have Mia and Seamus, our two horses I hope to compete on next year. In the process of horse shopping, I also bought a mare named Juanita. And um, it turned out she had some old suspensory injuries. So we are going to see if Juanita is broke to ride this, this fall and winter and see if we can't get her... Um, going under saddle and who knows what the future holds for her so I will just uh, end this with I have had so much fun endurance riding it's like I've met some of the best people um, great friends great mentors um, and just having such a great time I absolutely love going down the trail you know some of the things that you just really didn't do I, I didn't do before um, that I've that I found out I have to do in order to really compete in this sport and one of those things is riding alone um, conditioning alone you have to be able to get those miles on your horse and um, trailering out to my local park and and going for a ride um, sometimes I'm the only person there which is always a little creepy for me and I, I just worry about gosh, if you come off your horse, how are you going to, are you going to lose them? But so far that hasn't happened when I've been out and about alone and um, haven't lost any horses. So we'll just have to keep, keep uh, working on, on riding. But um, if you've thought about endurance and you just haven't quite, haven't quite done it, or you're, you're trying to do it, I just encourage people to uh, keep going because it is, is super fun sport. I got the opportunity to go out and crew at Tevis this year for my mentor, which was just an incredible experience, and hopefully someday we'll get to ride that ride. So happy trails, everyone, and enjoy your horses. 
I'm looking forward to maybe taking a little bit of time off this now that the season's over this year. And um, But one of my favorite things to do in the winter is just ride through the snow. So we'll be putting lots of walks, nice, long, slow walks on the horses, getting them legged up um, for next season. Talk to you later. Hi, it's Bridget Brown from um, North Yorkshire in England. Um, we've got to the end of our endurance season now. The weather's closing in and it's uh, pretty horrible actually today. It's throwing it down, it's foggy and awful. So at this point I'm going to look back on the last ride of our season, which was the Red Dragon down in Wales. Um, it's a long trip over for us. It's eight hours and we were taking Zeph and Chico. Uh, Zeph and Chico will only travel in the wagon because they, neither of them likes to travel on the passenger side going forwards in a horse box, so they go backwards. We uh, met up with a friend of ours, Linda, at Weatherby Services, which is about, um, about a, an hour and a half from us. And um, Nikki had taken her car, which Linda was borrowing because her car had broken down, so she needed a towing car for her trailer. So we followed each other along the the uh, along the M62, and which is a horrible road when it's raining. And when we got to Chester Services, which is about well, it's about three four hours into the trip, we uh, pulled into the wagon park park and uh, got the horses out so they could graze. Uh, there's a lovely grassy bank just on the side of the wagon car park get the horses way out of the way and you know give them a leg stretch and toilet stop and everything after that it was another four hours roughly down to Blowith Wells in Wales uh, to the Royal Welsh Showground we got there about half past four in the evening and um, we got the horses settled bedded up and settled in the stables and then thankfully because it was a lousy forecast we um, had booked B and B, so we took uh, Linda to her bed and breakfast, and Nikki and I toddled off to find ours. Next morning, we got back in good time. Uh, got the horses mucked out, and whilst Nikki led them round and let them graze a bit, and then we uh, got our numbers and everything, and went into vet. They both vetted really well, which was nice because um, it's a, it's a difficult vetting area. It's a great big building, and it's very echoey and uh, yeah, we were real pleased with them. And then we got set off. It's a fantastic route. Uh, it starts off along a river bank, along the road, and then you go up this, this absolute mega hill. It, it seriously is a hill, and we're used to hills here. And the horses bounded up there, to be honest with you. And at the top, there was some, because uh, there'd been a lot of rain, there was some really good puddles, so we'd get the horses in for a, a drink and get them sloshed off with sponges that we had on strings. Um, there was a, a good group of us riding. There was me and Nick on Zeph and Chico, and then there was Linda on Missy, and there was Sally Toy as well. Uh, once up on the tops, it's utterly beautiful. It's fantastic. Uh, you're just like on top of the world. You can see for miles and miles and miles, just hill after hill after hill. And the, um, the, the tracks are grassy, and it's good going, and you get some real good trotting and cantering, and, you know, it's, it's brilliant. You keep dropping, we drop down into the valleys, long roads a little bit, and then back up onto the tops again. 
And for a little while it was foggy on the tops and, and then the fog cleared and just looking down in the valleys with sort of the fog in the valleys, it was beautiful. Anyway, we did the 40k, actually 42k I think it was, and in about three and a half hours, um, back down the hill, which was quite slippy by then, and they vetted well, really well. I um, was pleased with them because they weren't that fit and we're, <laughs> we're not that fit either. Both got 42 heart rate, so they both got a grade four. So we um, settled them down for the night after they'd had a mooch around under the trees and eaten some grass. And then we toddled off to our B&B, had a lovely evening meal in the pub next door. Next morning we're there bright and early, same, same procedure. Nikki led them around and let them graze whilst I mucked out. And then we vetted, vetted well again, good heart rates. And uh, we all got tacked up, the four of us again. Uh, me, Nikki, Sally and Linda and set off. It was raining when we set off but we were all in really good spirits and the horses were feeling great actually. Zephy was feeling magnificent, um, quite full of it. And we went up to the top of the hill again, had a, another um, slosh, up, slosh off in the puddle at the top because neither of us, we didn't have crews with us. And slightly different way this time and along the tops and oh, do you know it's beautiful up there lovely grassy tracks dropped into the valleys and then climbed up again onto the other side past some beautiful cliffs um, a lake below the cliffs and then we're cantering along but unfortunately Zeph uh, slipped on some grass on a hillside and came down pretty heavy uh, and I came down with him and knocked myself out actually because Nikki said I was a bit weird for the rest of the ride and certainly hurt my back somewhat. But anyway, we got to the end of the ride, another 10Ks after that. And I must admit I was, I was hurting somewhat by the time we got back. But Zeph was brilliant. I mean, he could have, he could have really taken the Mickey out of me because I wasn't really riding very well. But he wasn't. He was brilliant. Um, got back in, got them cleaned off, got them vetted again. And Zeph, exactly the same heart rate, another grade four. Chico had a bit of a swelling on his face, but um, he, was, he was a couple of beats a minute higher, so he got a completion. But he was otherwise all right. We found out later he'd got a little twig caught in between his teeth. Um, after that, we got them settled well, and they were happy as Larry. And uh, we all retired to the, the hot tub at Linda's B&B which did an awful lot to shake, uh, soak and ease my um, aching bones. And then after that, it was um, the next day, we got them loaded up and we set off back. Four hours in, stopped at Chester Services again and got the horses out and they mooched about and grazed. Do you know, they're not in the slightest bit bothered about all the wagons coming in at the park. And then it was about seven o'clock at night when we finally got home. I can't be more proud of the horses this year. They've gone so well for us and um, Nikki's done absolutely brilliantly and uh, it, you know, it was, a, it was a lovely end to a really good season. So I shall leave you now but I'm going to look forward to listening to all your stories. Um, I hope you've enjoyed mine. Hi. I'm Jessica Cobley, and I wanted to tell you the story of my first Tevis this year. 
I took my big Appaloosa, the big brass, um, and I threw in with my friend Lainey Lewis, from also from Idaho, and we drove over to California for the Tevis that I had always wanted to do that Lainey never really had wanted to do. Um, when we got there, I had actually herniated a disc in my back, and so I was in just amazing amounts of pain, and we weren't sure if I would even be able to ride, so on Thursday, we tacked up, and I got help getting onto my horse, and we went for a little tack ride to make sure that my back could handle it, and um, it actually hurt a lot less to ride than it hurt to do anything else. So we decided we were good to go. Um, we vetted in good on Friday. All was well, except that it kind of blew Brass's mind when we came around the corner and he saw like eight vets standing in a row with all the horses trotting and just all the volunteers and the crew and the people and it really freaked him out and it took us a little bit to vet and his pulse was really high for vetting, but we got through. Um, Brass managed to seat us into pen one, but I declined it so I could stick with Lainey and our plan to ride together for as long as we could. And Kristen Grace joined us at the start as well, which was fun. Um, and for 185 horses going out on trail essentially at the same time, it actually was a pretty smooth process. A couple people uh, were assigned to lead us down the mile to the start, and most riders were pretty polite and careful, even though it was really dark out and everybody was really excited and the horses were jacked. Brass and I ran interference to preserve Laney's horse Harley's bubbles so that he wouldn't have a meltdown before we even got started because Brass is pretty good that way. So with our dust masks in place, we heard our lead-out rider start yelling, the trail is open, and I just couldn't quite wrap my head around the fact that we were trotting out into the pre-dawn twilight for the actual Tevis Cup. It has been essentially my entire bucket list since I was doing competitive trail rides in the 80s in Montana when I was 11. Uh, we lost Kristen a few miles in because Monster quickly outpaced Harley and Brass, but we picked up Jill Hanald and Girl for a little while. We stuck to our pace scenario that set us up for hopefully a 3 or 3.30 a.m. finish. Every step that Brass took on that trail, my smile just got wider and wider. 11-year-old me was just squealing and jumping up and down, and 40-something me was alert and in sync and paying attention to Brass. And We hit the highway crossing, and we gave our numbers, and we started to go the wrong way, and they turned us around, so we went back and climb that hill that I always watch the riders climb on the live feed, and it just was an indescribable feeling. The trip up through Squaw Valley had lots of company. We hadn't really spread out a whole lot, and we were cr climbing pretty slowly, so we didn't blow the horses out on the early climbs because we knew we had a long day of the canyons yet to go. So we hustled where we could, and we slowed where we should. But we trotted through the landmarks that marked my life, Squaw Valley, Granite Chief, Red Star, please don't get pulled, please don't get pulled. 
cougar rock. Oh, cougar rock. There's only one way you get that cougar rock picture, and it's to take the route up the rock during the Tevis. There was never any question for me of whether I was going over or around. <clears throat> I was definitely going over. One of the photographers recognized us, probably brass, because he stands out in a crowd of Arabs and cheered us by name as first Laney and Harley, and then Brass and I went over the rock. There was maybe some whooping and lots of beaming, and I told Laney, man, if they pull us right now, it was totally worth it. We passed through Red Star easily and had to bump some knuckles over it as we headed back out towards Robinson Flat and our first one-hour hold. Our amazing crew, Cher and Mindy, were waiting for us when we got to Robinson. We stripped tack and started cooling the horses. Brass pulled in at a 48. We headed straight into the vet box where he got mostly A's. And then it was off to the shade where the horses ate everything in sight. And I drank some instant breakfast and tried to nibble on a sandwich. An hour goes by pretty quickly. And soon enough, we were back in the saddle and being released by the outtimers. It was time to tackle the canyons. Brass and I had our first problem of the day, starting down into the first canyon. The cliff above and the drop-off below the trail really freaked him out. He was so busy trying to watch horses coming in above us and what could be happening below us, he wasn't actually watching where we were going. I had to hop off and lead him quite a ways, and then people got stacked up behind us, so I had to let them go by, which isn't as easy as it sounds. He finally seemed to settle in about halfway down the first canyon but with my back problems it took me four attempts and two different stumps to actually get back on him he's about 15 2 or 15 3 quite a climb onto him we finally started to get into a rhythm brass and i and we caught laney again because thankfully she waited for us but brass was never really comfortable on the switchbacks i suspect it's a size and flexibility issues many of those switchbacks seem kind of tight and he's a big boy but we got our drink in the river at the bottom crossed the bridge and headed up brass doesn't have the fastest walk so i wasn't exactly surprised when riders started to stack up behind us again brass decided to stop for a breather which didn't make him any happier behind us but i eventually got him off the trail so that they could go by somewhere in there i ended up on foot again so i had to figure out how to get back on again and off we went down into the second canyon, which was a repeat of the first, except that I stayed on this time, and we managed to stick closer to Laney. Down, 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 just miles of down, and then across the bridge at the bottom. And that's the bridge that, I don't know, maybe that's not the swinging bridge, but it moved when I was on it, and it just really was like an optical illusion, and it made my stomach kind of turn, and it actually took a little bit for me to refocus my eyes and I was not expecting that. So we headed up and out of that canyon and then somewhere near the top the people right in front of us just took off and they started screaming bees bees at us over their shoulders and there's there's nowhere to go we went through the bees they got Harley first and he stomped and just kind of jumped and then they got Brass and I at basically the same time and Brass just completely lost his mind, and I was pretty sure that we were just all going to die. I tried unsuccessfully to get around Harley as Brass bolted forward, and I'm super thankful that we were about to switch back. 
that had some extra space because Brass shoved Harley and Laney all the way off the trail. We made pretty good time clearing out of the bees, thanks to Brass, but not before one last bee got into Laney's helmet and stung her in the temple. Thankfully, we weren't too far from the top. I think that's Chicken Hawk. I don't think it's Chicken Hawk. Is it Deadwood before Chicken Hawk? Anyways, we got to the stop at the top, and there was some water, and Laney was able to get some cortisone cream and take some Benadryl. And we got to Chicken Hawk eventually, and we vetted through again really easily and gave the horses a few minutes to eat before we went on. We were 64 miles in to Tevis, and it was just amazing. A couple of our friends had pulled at Chicken Hawk, but we had cutoffs to beat, so on we went. And the outtimer told us really cheerfully, you're only four miles from Forest Hill. Yeah, four miles of freaking canyon. So we came out the top of the third canyon. Is it into Michigan Bluff? I don't know. I can't remember anymore. We cooled the horses out like crazy, and then we set out on that last little bit to Forest Hill. And Forest Hill Bath Road was just a huge buzzing mass of humanity. We were about half an hour ahead of the cutoff and our crew met us and got straight into cooling and pulled our tack and pushed us into the vet line. Cher thankfully trotted brass for me because I just couldn't at that point with my back. He trotted great and vetted mostly A's again and off to the trailer we went. Laney and I tried to eat and drink while the horses scarfed everything they were offered and Cher and Mindy got glow sticks on our tack. That hour holed up, we headed into the dark for the final 32 miles. And that's when Brass discovered he is newly terrified of the light thrown by glow sticks he's wearing. Thankfully, they were the battery kind and not the snap kind, so I managed to get them turned off so we could make some forward progress. But then at a little turn leading us out of town, he also discovered he's terrified of glow sticks he's not wearing. Thankfully, someone came along and got us through the stupid glow sticks because I had lost Laney completely before I realized we had that big of a problem. Then we had just about caught Laney when Brass discovered he's terrified of the dark. It was shaping up to be a really, really, really long night. There was a group in front of us wearing glow sticks and one was carrying a red headlamp. We tried to tuck in with them, but we kept losing them on the switchbacks. Brass was starting to get kind of balky, and all the lights bouncing around were really just kind of unnerving him. Some people caught us, and one of them was wearing a green headlamp. Apparently, green headlamp is the least scary nightlight, and Brass cruised happily along for a ways. Then something went wrong out in front of us, and a rider was unhorsed, and the horse went off the bank. There was a chain nearly 30 riders long, starting and stopping on the trail as the rider afoot tried to catch her horse. It wasn't happening, and finally she stepped aside and let everyone by. We came into Cal 2 in a huge pack, and Laney and I let the horses drink and then bolted for the trail ahead of the mess. Brass was still really worried about moving forward in the dark, and my only solution was to hold my headlamp mostly hidden in my hand with a little light shining straight down. He mostly went forward that way, but we were fighting switchbacks again, and I could feel his tension at each one as we navigated them more and more slowly and flat out stopped on some. We caught riders in front of us, and riders caught us from behind, and once again we were in a huge train headed into Francisco's 85 miles from the start. 
We couldn't seem to hold a good pace, and the guy right behind me was huffy and irritating, kept yelling for trail. And I had to keep explaining to him that no matter how many times he yelled about it, passing just wasn't going to be any more possible. The moon finally came out in all its nearly full glory, and Brass finally agreed to go forward without the lamplight. However, at this point, he decided he was basically done going uphill. I mean, I could sympathize, but it wasn't really an option. We were both exhausted and frustrated by the time we saw the lights of Francisco's ahead. I was seriously considering pulling there, but agreed with Laney to see what the vet said before I decided. But when we got in for the first time all day, Brass took almost 15 minutes to pulse down. I asked a rider option and was directed to a vet to vet out so I could. Instead, Brass's back was sore and he refused to trot, so the vet pulled us for surface factors, and either way, our night ended at 86 miles. Laney and I hugged hard, and I told her to go kick that trail's butt and get her buckle, and she did. Brass and I waited at Francisco's until about 5 o'clock for our trailer ride home. I curled up at his feet while he ate, and when I got too cold, someone brought me a chair and a blanket. When the trailer was on its way, I resaddled Brass one more time, and we hiked out the three-quarters of a mile or so to get to the turnaround. We finally got to the fairgrounds in Auburn, where my husband Mike was waiting for us, and Cher had Brass's stall bedded and stuffed with food and water. So, there's our first Tevis. It was glorious. Every step of it was a new view, a new problem, a new victory, a new agony. My bucket list was always to ride Tevis. Now I think my bucket list is to finish Tevis. Hi, Jenny Chandler here from New Zealand. Um, Time to do a catch up on the start of our new season here. It's spring in New Zealand, of course, so we're just started the first few rides of our new season. Looking forward to a big season with some of my horses. Very excited about it all. But first I will update you on the horses that I'm not riding this season. Um, So firstly there's Tigger. If you remember um, the previous two seasons, two seasons ago he injured himself on the beach. Last season he tripped over a log and retweaked that injury. So this season I just wanted him to have... Um, a quiet season and I know that if I ride him we'll end up going too fast because he just is so athletic and he vets so quickly and I'm a tad competitive and so um, a good friend of mine Emily she doesn't have a horse to ride she has just got through her first two 40 kilometer and 80 kilometer novice rides Um, on borrowed horses last season she was the one who did um, Richie's first 80k rode him rode Richie in his first 80k ride so I offered Tigger to her so Tigger's gone down to Taupo and is having a quiet season with Emily maybe helping her step up the distance to do her first longer rides and just consolidate and not hurt himself this season and so far they're having a really good time and they're enjoying themselves so that's working out really well. Um, Richie after last season he did his first 80k ride so that's a 50 miler and then he wasn't quite right. Now I'm really thrilled that my nephew is engaged to 
my now good friend Anna, and she is a bodywork therapist with the Masterson Method. He's an Aussie, Masterson is an Aussie um, bodywork specialist, and she's also a barefoot trimmer. And that combination has just been amazing because I'm learning so much. And she's pointed out that Richie's hoof angles were wrong, that in fact he has high heel on one foot, low heel on the other, and that puts strain just right up both legs. Um, it puts strain on the low heel shoulder and puts that all out of kilter, and then they compensate by putting more pressure on the good leg, the high heel leg, and then that one they're likely to go in the suspensory ligament or tendons. So that's what was happening to Richie last season. Now I know why he end up, ended up feeling like crap, um, and we turned him out. So he's just having a therapy season where he may or may not get to a ride or two, but we're putting him out on the hills. We're doing strengthening work with him because he's lazy. He doesn't use his abdominal muscles. He just likes to put his head in the air and string his back legs out behind him. So we're just doing a lot of therapy work to make him stronger this season. So the horses I am campaigning, my main one is Lace. That's so exciting. She's recovered now from her injury where she stuck her leg through the fence. It's still in the process of healing, but she's rideable. We've done a 40k ride this season and a 50k ride, and she's just going awesome now, particularly in the 50. 40k, we were going along the beach, and of course on the beach you go a little bit faster, and she started feeling just a bit off, not really lame, but uneven, like she didn't want to extend her right front leg, so it was that diagonal, and it was particularly noticeable after we'd gone for a bit of a canter. I think what was happening was the boots I had on her back feet weren't right for her, and a few days later I noticed there was quite a calloused area on her paston, so we've changed her boots, and she seems fine now, she's in renegades, so that's another effect of having um, Anna. She came and stayed with me for a few months at the beginning of the year, at the end in the midsummer last season. And yeah, so now I'm having a go at going barefoot. It's kind of exciting, a little bit scary. Le like I say, learning so much. And we're at last getting on to Lace's thrush problems because she's got very narrow little boxy Arab feet and so I've had a lot of trouble with the bad central sulcus thrush. Still treating it now um, but it is, we're nearly there, it's nearly nearly better. So really looking forward, hoping with Lace this year that I'll get to do the big three, so that's 120 kilometres in December, 160 kilometres in January and then the three-day Makahiwi Challenge marathon ride of 80 kilometres a day for three days at Easter. Obviously, she's 19. It's her first season back for a few years, so we're just taking each ride as we go. So enjoying riding her. And then my other main one that I'm riding this season is Lace's daughter, Dancer. Um, she did a few little short rides last season, and we've just completed our first one of this season. 
the first rides are a series of three. So they're the same course and each time, each month, you just do a little bit further. So Lace had done the 40 kilometres the first ride. The next ride she did the 50 kilometres. But then I was looking forward to her season and thinking, well, she doesn't really need to do a 60 kilometre ride three weeks later and then a 80 kilometre ride three weeks after that. So I took Dancer up and got her started and just did a short 20k ride. I was meant to have some friends to ride with, but things fell apart for them and they ended up not turning up. So I ended up going out into the forest on our own with Dancer and initially that was a bit scary and she was very looky, very hesitant. But by the end of the ride, she had gained so much confidence that she will have learnt a lot by that going out on her own gaining confidence so it ended up good even though it was pretty hairy to start with and then as well as that my little project for this season is Lace's second fold Jimmy he's just coming up four and a half approaching five years he'll be five in December so I'm just starting to ride him now you know we're doing a bit of walking we trotted once a few months ago Um, I've only been back on him once since then The thing about Jimmy, he's so different from his sister. Dancer is an extrovert. Everything you do, you know instantly what Dancer thinks about it, um, and it's usually not favourable. But that makes it easy, actually, because you know exactly how she feels about everything. You know how far you can push her. You can just put a bit of pressure on, and you know how she feels about it. Whereas Jimmy is a complete introvert, and... He seems really quiet, but if you look closely, you can see he's worrying about things, but he'll just stand there and be stoic and worry about it, and I worry that if you put too much pressure on him, he may explode, because you'll just get to a point where he can't cope anymore, and he won't give you those signs that Dancer is so forward at giving. Um, So I've just been making sure, taking him really slowly, giving him lots of cuddles, making sure he's happy. Because the only thing you can tell if he hasn't been happy is the next day you won't really be able to catch him as easily. He's kind of like, oh, no, I don't want to. Didn't enjoy it yesterday. So, and the weather's been crap, so I haven't really been pushing that. But I'm hoping to get him along to a little mini practice day. Um, The one that Dancer went to is her first ride the Sunday before Christmas so I'm hoping to get him enough experience by then to take him along for a little out his first outing there so fingers crossed that all goes well see you later hi this is Jessica Isbrecht and um, I'm calling from the Alabama hills in Lone Pine California Last time I checked in, I was in City of Rocks, Idaho. I travel full-time with two horses. I've been living completely on the road uh, with the horses and my partner, Byron, for almost a year and a half now. We left New Jersey in June of 2018. And um, because of that and moving around so often, um, I do all of my endurance conditioning rides in new locations. So that's a lot of fun. I'm having a great time going around to different regions and doing rides. 
right now we're making our way down to Ridgecrest, California for the, well, I'm going to be in the open division of the national championship because I didn't quite meet the qualification requirements this year. Um, it's only my second season in endurance. I'm a green bean and, um, I just started doing fifties this year with my Tennessee walking horse mare, um, named a river. And my other mare is Mackenzie. She's a Cleveland Bay thoroughbred. And um, we started doing LDs last summer uh, up in Maine and Pennsylvania. And unfortunately, we were like, although we were doing really well and she was in great condition, and I was really looking forward to doing some more rides in the fall in uh, the Northeast, um, she got kicked at a boarding barn. Um, in the stifle so it took me all winter of anti-inflammatories and slow rehab to get her fixed up and completely sound again and knock on wood fingers crossed hopefully we won't have any more stupid injuries and um, in a couple weeks we'll have her re-debut into LDs at 60 años um, in Santa Ynez, California. It's a three-day pioneer, which I'm really looking forward to. Of course, I think it'll mostly be up to me <laughs> whether I can make it through multiple days. I think the horses definitely can, and River for sure can, um, at least on LDs. I don't know about back-to-back -back 50s yet. We'll see how we do, but um, it's mostly the heat that gets to me, and I've had lots of issues um, over the last couple summer weather and hot sunny rides that we've completed with just severe dehydration and headaches and I just feel totally wiped out the next day kind of like I spent all night at a kegger in college and I can't function so I'm really trying to get my own hydration and electrolytes and heat tolerance dialed in but it's uh, it's really difficult because we're constantly moving around and um, we've been staying at high elevation camps for most of the summer. So even though it is very sunny, it'll feel cooler during the day when I'm riding because we're at, you know, 8,000 or 9,000 feet. And I guess the elevation also plays a part in it coming down to, you know, like 2,000 feet. In Ridgecrest, I think it is, uh, I'm worried it's going to be pretty hard on me. And then um, the horses have also started growing winter coats, and I don't own clippers anymore. So I'm trying to figure out what to do about that. Do I clip them? Do I not clip them? I mean, it's not like we have a barn to go back to. So all winter our plan is to just camp out in the desert of Southern California and Obviously, I've got lots of blankets and stuff, but I've never maintained a clipped horse before, so I'm kind of nervous about it. I don't really like... I mean, obviously, I would... I want them, especially River, to not overheat on the 50 that we're doing at the championships, but, you know, I don't know. It's kind of nerve-wracking when it might get down to freezing at night and be windy, and it's not like they have a windbreak or anything. They just have to hang out outside <laughs> so i don't know we'll see how everything goes i'll check back in 
and let you know what's going on and how everything pans out. That's a that's the update on where we are and what we're doing. Really looking forward to the national championships and uh, the Open 50 that I'm competing in is on Halloween, so I'm debating whether or not to go in costume. I found a little lightweight kind of like devil wings and devil horns and stuff, but it would require me to wear black. You don't really wear devil wings with light or bright colors, so I gotta see if it's gonna be too hot and <laughs> if I can handle riding all day in black with wings on. But uh, and sounds like some other riders might be going in costume as well, so it should be kind of fun. Saturday, I'm gonna be crewing for a rider from Texas Radu Chubuk and his horse Kiss. I've never met him before and um, I just got hooked up with this crewing job through uh, the AERC. He asked for help and I said I would be happy to do it. So I really like crewing for people. I crewed for Lucy Trumbull at Tevis this year and that was a good learning experience. So I'm trying to keep that ball rolling. So if anybody ever needs crew, you never know where in this country I'm going to be, or even internationally, I would be happy to travel. Just reach out or follow me on Facebook. You can find me through AERC, it's Jessica Isbrecht, or um, a Facebook and an Instagram account called Ride Climb, and you can follow our travels there. So I really love keeping in touch with the horse community since I don't have a home base anymore. So. I would really love to make more endurance friends and horse friends around the country and the world. So that's it for now. Talk to you later. Bye. Hello, this is Griffin Keller again. I'm just doing a quick update on the end of my season with my standard bread, Sleek and Wow, or Sully. Um, when I recorded the first time, we had just completed our second ride of the season at Iron Mountain and surprisingly top 10. Um, since then, we've done three more rides for our season, which is <laughs> the most I've completed in one season. The next ride, we went to Meadow Creek Mingle and had a solid finish there. Um, little trouble with the heat, so we made some electrolyte tweaks for the next couple of rides, but he did complete. And then Blackwater Swamp Stomp, which is close by here in Virginia, but fairly flat compared to most of our rides in the mountains. So I kind of knew he could really um, move out and trot there. And a friend and I hooked up. Um, you can read a little bit more about that on my blog. And we just decided to go for it. And uh, Sully and I came in second at that ride. And our final ride of the season this past weekend at Fort Valley, which was another mountain ride <laughs> here locally. We kind of had another un and final and unintentional top 10 coming in ninth, um, just moving out through the, the woods and the mountains of Virginia. Um, it was a nice, fun, cool ride. And uh, he is definitely I think ready to move up next year so hopefully we'll have a good winter with not too much absolute craziness of mud and rain which we're expecting right now um, for the next couple of days that'll actually let us condition and keep him ready so that we can try our first 50 uh, next 
season. Um, again, I just want to say that standard breads are a really cool breed and he's come so far in just a, a year with me, uh, from being on the track to running through the mountains and really enjoying just every time he goes back out there and every ride gets better and we tweak little things and really loves to do it. So it's one of those off breeds that people should consider. I guess I will catch up with y'all again in uh, 2020. Hello, Endurance Horse Podcast Land. I'm Jessica Cobley. I manage Top of the World Pioneer Endurance Ride in uh, Idaho, outside of Spencer, Idaho, on the Montana border every July. We sanction with AERC for the last weekend in July, and 2020 will be our fourth year of putting this ride on. Spencer, Idaho is almost directly on top of the Idaho-Montana border. We are at the western tail of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, and our trails go up onto the actual Continental Divide Trail where it crosses the Idaho-Montana borders. Our trails up at top of the world uh, are old logging road and single track. Um, We do go up onto the Continental Divide Trail Um, Next year we'll go up there all three days. This year we went up there two of the three days for the 50s. The LDs tend to get up there like once just because it's too long to send them up there every day. Um, Our trails also overlook the Nez Perce Trail and the Snake River Plain. And to the north you can see all the way into Montana, into the mountains past the Lima Reservoir. And when you're up on top of the Continental Divide Trail, you can actually also see the Tetons. If there's no smoke, you can see into where Yellowstone actually is, so into Wyoming. Our trails at Top of the World are everything from sage flats to tree tunnels, um, up through the pines and the quaking aspens. We have lots of variety, and you get to see a little bit of all of it every day. We do have some challenging climbs. It is a mountain ride, and it is in the Rocky Mountains. So um, if you're going to come ride Top of the World, which I hope you do, be prepared uh, for rocks. Make sure that you have hoof protection for your horse. And we do have creek crossings, several creek crossings, and sometimes those can get boggy. So it's a good idea to make sure that your horse is completely comfortable with crossing water and crossing or jumping mud. Sometimes it rains and things get a little bit muddier. And we do have cows that help make all of those things just a little bit better. Our ride camp at Top of the World is in a stunning meadow up on Alex Draw. It looks out at both of the Continental Divide trails that we ride. And from both of those trails, you can look down and see ride camp on your morning loops. Water for ride camp for the horses is pumped from a creek right up there at the base of the meadow. And then we have the local Spencer Grill come in and cater meals every night. Pretty much everybody has been a huge fan of the food. We are still working on teaching our carnivorous Spencer Grill how to do vegetarian meals, but we keep trying to improve that. 
Another fun thing is we actually are allowed to have a campfire up there. So every night building up to the ride and every evening after ride meeting, we go ahead and rebuild the campfire. It can be really fun on Sunday night when everybody's done riding and we just have time to sit down and relax and everybody gets a drink and pulls up their chair to the campfire and we all just hang out and swap stories and get to learn from some of the people that are riding there that just have amazing amounts of experience. It's just a really good time. Each day we offer a trail ride. I'm considering doing intro rides this year. I haven't decided yet. Uh, We do an LD of 25 or 30 miles and an endurance distance of 50 or 55 miles. And this is a pioneer. So if you do all three days on the same horse of the endurance distance, you will get pioneer points for that. Our morning trails each morning go up into truly spectacular beauty up onto the Continental Divide trails. And our afternoon trails, um, we try to make it a little bit easier, have a lot less elevation, and generally they follow creeks and uh, single track trails through shady woods. Um, Elk and deer habitat are up in there, and all of the trails have high grass, like elbow high on the horses. Horses just, it's one of the challenges is getting them to keep moving rather than stand and eat. Um, And we have natural water everywhere on the trail, which is really great. It means I don't have to try to get water to some places that I really can't get to easily, but you do have to make sure that your horse is comfortable crossing and drinking natural water. Um, Another one of my favorite things about top of the world is often in the early morning and in the evenings you can hear sandhill cranes we are um, on the sandhill crane nesting route and so up they're up there um, raising their babies and the the babies are fledging while we're up there and sometimes if you get up really early in the morning just as the sun is about to come up you can hear the wolves start singing off in the distance too so I'm just about to send in the sanctioning information for 2020. We will again be sanctioned for the last weekend in July. It's easy to remember. We're in camp for a full 10 days. So if you are coming in from across the country and you need to get there early, it's no problem. We'll be up there and there's um, water and we'll get you all settled in and camped. The nearest large town to ride camp is Idaho Falls and it's about 60 miles away or so so you need to make sure that you have all the things that you need before you come in there's not really a feed store any closer than that you can get fuel and snacks in Dubois which is about 20 miles so I hope you'll join us next year I hope you'll go check out our Facebook page, Top of the World, or go to the AERC website and you can click on the link on the calendar to the actual web page. And I hope to see you next year. Thank you. Hi, Jenny Chandler here again. So last weekend I took both ponies, that's Lace and Dancer, to a ride at Waimiha, which is 
about two hours drive away, so quite a close one. The Waimiha ride is quite special. It's at a local sports ground and right next to the sports ground is an old abandoned sawmill. So you ride out down the gravel road and there's these old derelict buildings and piles of timber that it just looks like they just walked away and left everything. It's a really nice course, some lovely flowing country, but some also some big steep hills. And everybody really enjoys it. There's a, um, the sports ground has a clubhouse there and even because the Rugby World Cup was on and the semi-finals, New Zealand was playing England in the semi-finals, so the locals were there and the bar was open. We had a potluck dinner as we normally do. And so it makes the whole thing very special, except of course that the New Zealand rugby team lost the semi-finals, so that kind of didn't go to plan. However, on the Saturday before the rugby failure, Dancer did her first 40k ride. I didn't know, you know, whether she was terribly fit. I figured we could get round 40 easy enough. It's not far. She'd done enough, had one 20k build-up ride. In New Zealand, we don't have a lot of places to train, which is very disappointing. But unless you know your local farmers, you can't ride on any of the farms unless you have an agreement with the owners. And there aren't very many public places that are suitable for training endurance. I'm lucky in that I do have some public hill property that I can ride on that's only 10 minutes away, but it's only 100 acres. So, you know, there are a few tracks, but if you want to get some decent training, you just end up doing some quite small loops. So we tend to use the rides themselves as our way of getting our horses fit. And so often at the beginning of the season, the hardest ride to train for will be your first 40k ride. And that's possibly the reason we do a lot of smaller rides, because we use those as our training. We can't just go out and do, well, most of us can't, we can't just go out and do a 20, 30k training ride, um, because we don't have the land to do that on. I do a lot of my training along road verges. And so that's why we'll often go to a lot more rides than people do in other countries because those are our, our training rides. <clears throat> They're not so much competitions as just another training ride. So getting Dancer ready for her first, first 40 is, was quite a big thing. And she was pretty full of, us, full of, full of herself pre-ride. And we were expecting to have, as we did last year, um, a river crossing within the first couple of hundred metres. A little bit, thankfully, given I was on my young pony, um, there'd been too much rain, so we couldn't cross the river. It was a little bit, I was a little bit relieved about that. So we went off down the road and across the, down the road and across the bridge, which added a, a kilometre or two of gravel. So I decided to put boots on her. I hadn't been going to, to ride her with her boots on but I decided that because we had that extra gravel, I would do. And I was very pleased I did because I'd forgotten that there is actually quite a bit of gravel later in the course. You know, when you look back on a course that you've ridden before, actually all you remember are the nice flowing green paddocks and the, and the nice bits that you can canter along on. And you kind of don't remember all the little bits of gravel and, and rougher terrain. So I was really glad I put the boots on 
And also for Dancer, it was a little bit of a first because um, there wasn't a lot of land. So we did a 25K loop, came back to base and then went out again and did part of that again. So a 15K loop. And that was the first time it was almost like doing a two loop ride. And she was pretty confused. She's like, but we're back. What are we doing going out again? And she was like, yeah, nah. But she went. I asked her, you know, come on, yeah, we really do. And apart from pulling faces because it's dancer, she did go happily enough. And she just learnt so much again. You know, these early rides, you can just almost feel them soaking up all the information. You know, she was very lucky. And the first loop, everything was new, everything was scary because we were going out on our own. Once again, I had organised to ride with a friend, but because of situations at home, she had changed and was just doing a 25k ride and not doing the 40 at all. And so there I was starting out once again on Dancer on her own, which is great for her, a little bit harder, but we caught up with people from time to time and she went really well. And then at the end of the ride, where I thought I should have a tired pony. She did a very bouncy trot up, um, which was great. She was like calling out to her mother because she was only, you know, laces in the pen, not very far away at all. She passed and I was really happy. And then as we're going back, I said, come on, let's go see your mother. And I ran off and she just exploded beside me. Um, I thought, well, you're not tired at all. She was cantering and jumping and leaping beside me like she hadn't done anything. So that was a real thrill. So pleased with her. Yeah, it's just just great. Then the next morning, Lace was doing uh, 80K. Because she hasn't done anything for a while, she had to do a ride to time. So our optimum time was eight hours. Lace has never really much been into going slowly. So I was expecting it to be a little bit challenging to get her to just chill and slow down a bit. But we went out quietly on our own. She was actually really cool with it. And I had a really lovely ride. It's so awesome to be out on my pony again. Coming back in, she vetted well, although she comes into base screaming her head off, calling out to everybody. Thankfully, Dancer didn't answer because even though Lace has done a lot, she is still perfectly capable of going completely neurotic and just, you know, being a silly twit. So thankfully, she didn't do that. She vetted pretty well, went out on all the three loops. There was one point on the last loop where she, we caught up with some other people. There's a point on the course where I say we don't have, there isn't much land that the actual course is on. So when you're doing the 80, you actually go out and you do, there's a little loop and you come back to the same point, like a little lollipop type loop. And when you're doing the 80, the first two times around, you actually do that twice. So instead of just doing that loop once, as we had with Dancer, you come out and you go around it and then you go around it again. And the second time we did that, we came off our first little loop and suddenly we joined up with a mob and we had... There was about eight of us all riding together and that was pretty much the only time she was suddenly super competitive, fast lace, so loop of that, so what was it, about five, five kilometres, so a few miles she was a bit of a pulling idiot, um, but we managed to shake off most of that group and get ourselves in our own space again. I think I let some of them go forward and I got ahead of some of them and found my own space. She was finding the uphills a bit challenging, so before the next ride I'm going to get her out and do a lot of walking up some hills just to get that improved a bit. 
but otherwise she flew through. There were only a few in the ride, but we won it, so, you know, I'll take that. Dancer, actually, also, there weren't very many in the ride to time 40, so she actually won her ride as well. So I had two horses, I got two wins. Yes, there were only a couple of other people in each ride, but, you know, let's take that. Just so pleased with my ponies. It was a great thrill. So now Lace has got endurance 80Ks on November the 24th. Um, unfortunately, that's only a one-day ride, so I can't take Dancer to that one, which is a real shame because I'd love her to do, get her second 40 under her belt. But because I'm the only one, she's only young, and I'm the only one who's ever ridden her so far, um, I'm a little bit choosy about getting somebody else to ride her. I'd have to, they'd have to come and ride her at home first and they, I don't know anyone who would be able to ride her who also knows endurance. I did ask one person, but she's going to be on holiday in Chicago, so that's no good. So Dancer may have to wait until December for her second 40. Never mind, we're not in any hurry with her. She's just young. Okay, catch you later. Bye. Hi there, this is Daniela Harding from Calgary, Alberta, up in Canada, and I've been listening to the podcast for about six or seven months now, since the spring, and really enjoyed listening to them on the way to rides or on the way out to the barn to get myself excited for training, or to simply fill the time between rides where <laughs> I need to know to be doing something in relation to endurance. Um, I've been wanting to send in a podcast for a while now, but wasn't sure that I had any super interesting stories, but then I thought I enjoy listening to some of those basic ones more than anything, so I feel like I should submit something and maybe from a different perspective from up in Canada or even Alberta, even though there's already some Canadian submissions. Um, so anyhow, it's the end of our ride season up here. Um, winter comes pretty fast for us, so our last ride is early October, and even those rides are pretty darn cold overnight and in the morning. This last one, we got real lucky and had some good weather on the ride weekend, but the weekends before and after, we got plenty of snow so the trails were still a little muddy, and like I said, the overnight was pretty cold, but we had a beautiful morning on the ride day and ended up having a nice, strong finish to the season. Um, so anyhow, I started riding long distance about, I think it's eight years ago now. I started off in CTRs, and that is still my my main sport. I got into it... Um, through a friend of a friend who just started telling us about it and put on a mini clinic for us. And I had my newly broke four-year-old paint Appaloosa mare who, because she was my first horse and my only horse, I just did just about anything with her. And she is just so versatile that she just says, okay, sure, I'll do anything. So we went to our first ride and did uh, a novice, so a fairly slow 25, um, but it was so much fun and like right then I was hooked. I then quickly moved up to intermediate with her and then about maybe four or five years later I started doing 50s in CTR with her and she 
is the mare with the biggest heart. Like, this horse, you cannot stop her. She will just keep going and going. We joke that she's the Energizer Bunny. Every time I think that she can't have anything left in the tank, she proves me wrong. And I'd say her biggest weakness is the fact that she doesn't overly take care of herself in the sense that I feel like she'll just push herself so hard. So I need to really watch over her. Um, she, yeah, definitely wasn't the typical long distance horse, but she did fantastic. She had 100% completion rate in the 50s, although we never were finishing at the top, but she was consistent. She kind of started showing signs of a bit of hawk arthritis in the last two years. She had a bit of a hip hike that was just showing itself a little bit more. And then I looked into it and didn't want to push her any harder as I wanted her to last a long time. And she was only 11 at the time. So I need her to stick around for a long time. And then she kind of transitioned into being my little relaxed jumper pony. And around that time, I had taken on a Arab from a friend that um, she wanted kind of transitioned into distance riding. He had started off down in the States as a three-year-old in Western Pleasure and then eventually somehow made his way up to Canada. Not sure at what age. And he ended up on a bison ranch and then in the hands of this friend. So she sent him to me for the spring to see if I could get him conditioned just enough to do a nice slow 25. When he came to me, he had this lovely, gorgeous Western pleasure canter where it was just the easiest thing to sit. It was so smooth. It was lovely. Not the typical quarter horse low head um, Western pleasure canter, but it was it was pretty, but it went nowhere. You covered no ground at all. So my job was to get him to start covering a bit of ground, but trying to do it in the trot more than anything. And his default was the canter. So through about a million transitions and just in, con- insisting on him trotting, we eventually got there after a couple months. And he found a decent extended trot. Nothing special at this point. And he went back to his owner. And she brought him to the first ride. And he started crow hopping, sort of bucking, quite a bit on the ride. And enough to be just too much for her. And didn't want to take that on. Um, Having two kids you know, just a bit more responsibility than I had. So she had decided at the end of that season that he would be up for sale. Now, he never, ever showed me any signs of bucking when he was with me, so I found it very odd. So I kind of went back and rode with her and started seeing what he was doing, and yeah, he definitely was um, giving some decent bucks, but they were fairly easy to sit, but still not anything for a novice or even intermediate rider, I would say. And then, uh, so she was going to try to sell him and 
she offered me the opportunity to take him on as uh, the sale project and get a commission from it. So she sent him back to me the following spring, and I started working with him, and then I was going to start taking him to some distance rides um, to definitely get some more experience under his belt to make it easier to sell him. So I took him to two 25 uh, limited distance endurance for the first time, and he killed it. Um, he did perfectly fine and natural. Um, I then took him to three fifties, um, in CTR and did fantastic on those. By his last ride of the season, he had won grand champion at the hardest ride of the year and he just looked fantastic at the end. Um, through that summer, I had quite a few people, friends, telling me that I needed to be purchasing this horse, and I was insistent on the fact that, no, I will not be purchasing this horse. I was going back to school, um, would have three years in nursing, and there was no way I could have two horses at that point. Just wasn't a good plan. So January rolls around, and... I definitely was entering my brain about purchasing the source. And yes, I fell in love. The thought of someone else having him just made me kind of sad. So I bought a second horse. Um, shortly after that, he had won the top provincial horse at our year-end awards. And uh, definitely gave me some high hopes for him. So this year... He went back to do a nice warm-up to limited distance and endurance, and then I put him in every single CTR. So he had um, seven 50 miles plus a 25-mile CTR on a second day. So he did 75 in that weekend um, to get a feel for how he could do over multiple days, and he did pretty well. So we did 375 competition miles this season, and he was probably the most consistent horse of the club. Um, he didn't finish the top as much as I would have liked, but like I said, he was the only horse to compete in every ride and had 100% completion, so have to be happy with that. Um, he did start developing some lumbar tension, mostly on his right side, kind of through the end of the season as we did more and more. He was getting massages and he just wasn't letting go of that tension in the back on palpation. So knew that it was something I'm going to have to address a little bit more. He's now had a month off after his last ride and a couple massages and both massage therapists that I use said he's feeling way better, like way better. So that break really helped. And I do think I need to get a new saddle because the one I had fit fairly well, but clearly was bridging a little bit. So we're back on the saddle shopping adventure, which, you know, is always fun. <laughs> but Additional to that is that this right-sided tension he was showing through his iliopsoas and his lumbar is definitely partly me. I started to really pay attention to myself after 
this being the second or third horse, I realize it has kind of the same problem. So clearly it's me learning that I my almost entire right side is stronger, but also very tight and tense. So I will be working on straightening myself out before next spring so that both me and my horse can be nice and straight and make sure that he is doing the best that he could possibly do next year. We will be focusing more on endurance. If everything goes according to plan, we may try a 75 at the end of next season. So got a lot to work on, but a lot of look a lot to look forward to as well. So that's it. That was a long first summary of myself, but hope that you enjoyed it. And until next time. This is Dr. Mel Newton, the running, writing, writing veterinarian. A couple of weeks ago, I released a brand new book called Go Ride Far, practical know-how from the running, writing, writing veterinarian. I've been blogging for almost 11 years. This means that my website has over 6,000 posts. I started blogging when I was a brand new endurance rider with my very first horse, and I eventually progressed to doing 100 milers and going to vet school. Go Ride Far is based on the posts that I wrote that I wish I had read before I had done my first endurance ride. For example, how to back a trailer how to evaluate a conditioning plan and put together something that was appropriate for my specific course in my specific living situation, how to fix and recognize a bonk and fix my electrolyte issues on the trail. I also included the story that I've never written before or published about my very first endurance ride, which was an absolute failure. Although I chose content for this book with a new endurance writer in mind, I think that much of my material will be a good review for more experienced endurance riders and they'll be able to pick up a tip or two as well. There's also information that will be useful to the general equestrian. If you've been a longtime blog reader of mine, you might recognize some of the stories, but there is new content and the old content that I included has been thoroughly reviewed and updated as needed. My goal is to make these ebooks available for the price of a frou-frou coffee. You can find a digital edition of Go Ride Far at most online digital book retailers. This includes Amazon, Nook, and Kobo. A print copy is also available for a couple of dollars more, and this can be found at Amazon or by contacting me directly. I would love to hear from you and would like to be available for any questions or comments. You can email me at mel at melnewton.com. Stay in touch with me on my blog at melnewton.com or find more information about the book at drmelnewton.com. That's D-R-M-E-L-N-E-W-T-O-N.com. Here's an excerpt from my latest book, Go Ride Far. It is from a chapter titled, Endurance Horses Got Skills. I'm sure every aficionado of a particular horse sport has a pet peeve when it comes to how the horse's training is perceived by people in other horse sports. Dressage is more than being able to have three gates and go in a circle. 
and jumping potential is measured in other ways other than the frequency a horse jumps out of its paddock. It turns out that endurance horses are not badly behaved trail horses that never learned how to stop. I have tried my hand at all three of these sports, and while all three demand a performance horse, the skill set is vastly different for each. Oh yes, endurance horses have skills. Something that seems to escape not only the wackadoo pudding endurance horse potential ads up on Craigslist, but also some people I considered experienced horsemen. Most of the time I laugh and shake my head, recognizing the inherent bias we all have when viewing something from the outside. But once in a while, it really bugs me. Not so recently, I was reading something on well-behaved trail horses. The general gist was that unless you are planning on doing something endurance-like with your horse, there is no reason to let your horse eat under saddle. And doing so will create a dangerous habit where the horse will learn it can rip the reins out of your hands and eat whatever choice morsel it sees on the trail. Um, no. Just no. Would you not teach your horse to canter because they will learn they can do it whenever they want? No. You teach them that cantering is acceptable when you ask, and it is not okay to bolt through your hand and seat and do it whenever they want. Do you not teach your horse to woe from a trot or a canter because that will lead them to stopping whenever they want? No. You teach your horse a good woe so it can be done safely and on cue. Eating grass under saddle is a behavior that can be taught to be done in a polite manner, just like teaching a horse to canter nicely. It is not okay for a horse to rip the reins out of my hands, even if it's an endurance horse. We can discuss the merits of teaching a horse to eat under saddle or not, but eating and rooting are separate issues, and as are cantering and bolting. One is a vice, the other is a cued behavior. What about horses being used for kids? Some might concede my previous point, but then argue teaching a kid's horse to graze under saddle will be problematic. Again, skills versus vices. Beginner kid horses are not normally schooled in the art of walk-canter transition. This is a skill, not a vice, but not one that is desirable in most kitty horses being used for walk-trot lessons. A horse that has this skill might still be a suitable mount if that walk-canter button isn't too sensitive. Same with eating under saddle. A pushy horse that takes advantage of a kid's inexperience to eat grass and rip reins out of hands is no more desirable than a horse that is looking for an excuse to canter and who canters at the slightest touch of the heels or lean forward. There is a difference between a skill and a vice. If you are making judgments about the horse athletes in different sports, it is wise to consider whether the behavior contributes to the success of that athlete. If the behavior is widespread and contributes to success within the support, it is likely a skill, not a vice. You may not choose to teach your horse that skill or to reinforce that skill because of a variety of reasons, but it does not make it any less of a skill. You can teach your horse to eat safely under saddle. It is your choice of whether you want to do so or not, just like it is your choice if you want to school your horse in a canter, teach it to load in a trailer, jump, touch things with its nose on cue, or back up. Eating while under saddle is not a necessary evil for endurance riders and their horses. It is a skill. To read more about endurance horse skills and other stories from the endurance trail, please check out my book at Go Ride Far. 
You can find more information at my website, drmelnewton.com, that's D-R-M-E-L-N-E-W-T-O-N.com, or visit your favorite online retailer for Go Ride Far. Hello, my name is Brooke Moeller. I'm from eastern Iowa between Davenport and Iowa City, kind of in the nose of Iowa. Here, it's November, late November right now. I guess tomorrow's first day of December. It has been pretty crappy weather, just cold and rainy, um, but at least we're not getting a ton of snow as it's also been really windy. So I think the last time I got out and rode was like two weeks ago because it's just been super muddy and windy and cold. Yeah, it's not been good riding weather right now. My last competition was in August at the Rock River Charity Ride in Illinois. And so I gave my horse a long break after that and finally took him on a conditioning ride earlier this month and haven't been out since then. Hoping to get some nicer weather to get a few rides in here and there over the winter. So my horse's name is Rusty. And he, he is a Morgan Gelding. I, we've had him and raised him. So with me, I have been into horses all my life because my grandparents raised them since they were first married. And so they've always had horses. And then my dad also got into horses after that and moved just a little ways down the road from them. And so... I've always had horses either at my parents' house or my grandparents' house. So my grandmother actually bred Rusty from a stallion out of Illinois, and we still have his dam as well. So we have, we currently have two Morgans, or three Morgans, excuse me. We currently have three Morgans. Rusty is my endurance mount, and... The other one, my cousin rides sometimes. She has been on an on a novice ride before, but my cousin just didn't really stay with it. And she did really well at that novice ride too, so she could always be a backup or something. But anyways, I have another Morgan that I got from Western Iowa named Aurora. And I hope that she will be my endurance mount in the future. She is not as forward as Rusty. Rusty has the go-go-go kind of mindset and really wants to work hard and get the task done and she's a little more slow and oh let's take our time but there have been a few trail rides this year where she has been a little more forward so it gave me a little hope she's only four years old turning five next year so still haven't really trained her for endurance yet I'm just gonna wait a little while because Rusty is going to be 15 this year so he's still got some years left in him and so yeah my main ones are Rusty and Aurora both Morgan horses. Rusty's always very curious and inquisitive so is Aurora. Aurora has a little more of a big personality likes to play with things in the lot um, and do different things like that and Rusty's a little more spookish and um, sometimes he I think tries to scare himself, <laughs> tries to go up to things that he knows he's going to spook at and then spooks at him. So they've got super different personalities, but they're both a lot of fun. 
So I got into endurance riding. I literally knew nothing about it except um, having a Morgan. I had, especially with Rusty, he had a lot of energy. I started just taking trail rides a little faster on my own. Then I wondered, I wonder if there's a sport where you do like fast trail rides. And I looked it up online and I found the AERC website and I was like, oh my gosh, there is. And so I started reading all the new rider handbooks and tried to learn about it. And my first ride was a novice ride, the Big River Ride at Keysburg, Illinois. And it went very well. Um, and I got hooked after that. Next year I did the novice ride as well. So the first one was in 2016. So I did another novice ride in 2017. So last year I started doing LDs. I did two LDs last year and then three LDs in 2019. I'm starting to get more and more involved each year. I'm so glad I found it. Before that, I mostly just showed and did trail riding. I would show at like smaller shows in Western and English. I think I've stayed with the sport just with the huge sense of accomplishment you get after a ride and just the awesome thing of like spending all day with your horse and building a good relationship with them. Yeah, it's become my favorite discipline now. I look forward to planning out the rides. Like for example, I've already kind of planned out what rides I want to go to next year and I'm already getting impatient about the next riding season I want it to come. And But we have a long winter ahead of us, so... I'll have a little while to wait. So my goal for the next season is to try my first 50 mile ride. As we did two 325s this last year and he seems to be pulsing down right away at the end. It was hard to get a good tell this last year though because it rained every single ride and it was a lot of tough riding, a lot of mud and slow riding. But still finished in time so as long as I take it slow I think the 50 will go okay. I really wanted to try the 50 at the Big River Ride next year uh, because that seems to be a great place for Rusty. We don't have a lot of hills where I live, really flat land Iowa. And so we, the only hills we have are a couple in this field I ride in and I can't ride in it when they're planting, growing things in there. So a lot of flat land. I ride mostly on dirt roads around me and gravel roads. We have some wetlands area that my great uncle maintains for the state, and so at least we have that. So I have about six miles of dirt road and about three miles of wetlands to ride in, so I'm pretty fortunate. But when it's so muddy, it's hard to get out there. So yeah, I want to try a 50 this coming year and uh, start maybe riding Aurora a little more distance and getting her muscles built up, doing watcher riding with her. And like an overarching goal is getting more interest in endurance riding in Iowa. I, like I said, the only reason I found out about it is because I looked online and thought that maybe there was something out there. And I just feel like a lot of people don't know about it around Iowa and we don't have any rides in Iowa. We had one like last year but usually we don't have any rides in Iowa so I have an overarching goal of getting some more interest in Iowa and hopefully one day starting a ride in Iowa that keeps going every year 
Yeah, I will hopefully send in another file to let you know how our conditioning goes over the winter and how the goal of maybe getting a clinic going in Iowa goes. So hope to have you hear my updates in the future. Well, that's a wrap for episode 30. I'm hoping everybody will rally together, send in some audio so we can have one more episode. Have episode 31 be later on in December before Christmas. So as I promised, I'm going to share about War Horse, the endurance ride that I will be managing with Binky Tunney the last weekend in July of 2020. So real briefly, I'll share my vision for War Horse with you. In February, as most endurance riders are known to do, we kind of If it's not ride season where you live, you just kind of think about riding, conditioning, all of those things. And I had the idea of a concept for a ride that the theme would be War Horse, that the ride would support veterans and be a fundraiser, and that we would have some vets there to honor. So I was thinking of doing this when my children are in their 20s, because they are right now 11 and 13. And so this was something... I shared with Tara, I shared with Jim, and that was it. I didn't tell anybody else about it. And I said, well, you know, to give back to the sport someday when the kids are bigger, I will learn how to do this ride managing thing. There's a lot of great volunteers that'll that'll help me out. And I thought, well, just put that idea to the side. Fast forward to sometime this spring, and Binky contacted me and said, hey, do you want to manage a ride with me? And I, I was very surprised. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, sure. She told me one of the ride managers needed a break and that they would give us their ride weekend. And I said, well, okay, but I have this concept that I got a few months ago for an endurance ride. And if I could name it what I want and we could do it this way, then we would do it. So we'll just not hit all the details and all the twists and turns. I needed to figure out a way to make it a fundraiser without like becoming my own nonprofit or something and how to get this paid for. So the previous ride manager had said, well, maybe go to Distance Riding Association of Wisconsin and ask them to back the ride. That way you won't have to do this out of your pocket. Plus they'll train you. You know, they'll help you. It'll be good. So long story short, we did talk to them. We did meet with them. I did. And then we went, uh, my daughter and I went to their their meeting and the club voted to, yes, support the ride. And it was a little nerve wracking up to that point because you needed a quorum to vote. And we weren't sure there'd be enough members there to vote. But there were just enough, so it was a really good thing. So now War Horse 2020 is going to become a reality. We have come up with a way to do the fundraising where we don't have to handle the funds really at all. We're just a venue. We're just a network. I prayed about it. Sorry if you don't, you know, pray or whatever. Don't be offended. Some people do, and I I do try to pray about everything and just had the the idea that 
all we have to do is be that conduit, the stage for a charity to meet with somebody who's willing to donate to them. So I found a therapy riding center right next to the town where the ride will be held, and it's called Horsepower Healing Center. And they do give veterans riding lessons for free already, but they give them one day a week in a group lesson. But she made up a special sheet for me so I could go to businesses, and I plan to go to several businesses and see if they'll sponsor a veteran for either six weeks or longer, possibly even a year of private riding lessons. So it could be on the day of the week that maybe that veteran was available, and it could be a private lesson so that they could get more out of it. I also wanted to honor the horse part of War Horse because 8 million horses lost their lives in World War One, And that is a staggering number. And I do believe it includes donkeys and mules. 8 million. Now, there's not a thing we can do for those horses. That was generations ago. But I think it's important to honor the place that horses have had in fighting for our freedom and the freedom of the world, really. I found a rescue that was in high regards in our state who answered the phone when I called, which was really important. It was hard to get a hold of some of these rescues. It is a rescue that takes all breeds. That was important to me. And it was also a rescue who actually adopts their horses out and doesn't hold on to them. And she answered the phone. She was super easy to talk to. Their website, and I know that sounds frivolous, but in today's day and age, it's not. Their website was very up-to-date, very user-friendly. You could find horses. You could get the great photos. You could get information on them. So we are partnering with the Midwest Horse Welfare Foundation to raise money for them also. So there's, there's more to it, but... Like I said to people, if you will harness me to a cause that I believe in, I am a workhorse. The podcast is an example. I don't make any money off of the podcast, but it's something I believe in. So I will be trying to come up with a way to raise money for that horse rescue. I think one thing we're going to do is get a a wish list, kind of like humane societies do, of what kind of feed they need, what kind of things they might need. And then that would be one option that riders could just bring a bag of senior feed. And there will be somebody from the rescue to pick that up. The people who are going to sponsor riders for the veterans service, those people are going to write a check to Horsepower Healing Center. And we are going to get those checks directly to Horsepower. And then we're going to present that and tell everybody what the total number raised was at the endurance ride, at the awards ceremony, and have somebody from that therapy center there to acknowledge the receipt of those monies. My hope is, I have to work out the details of it, my hope is for the horse, the Midwest Horse Welfare Foundation that we can do a March of Dimes style pledge for miles. And bearing a little bit of my soul here, but... I get pretty emotional thinking about that people could be riding each mile that they're riding would count really for something besides their lifetime miles, besides a completion on that day, besides an award on that day, 
all those things are good and fine. And that journey is why we saddle up. But it's my hope to make each one of those miles count that if you are riding for one of the three charities we're going to choose, and I'll have a pledge sheet, people can print them out. You don't have to do this to do the ride. You can just come like any other ride. You can just sign up and ride. And don't worry about the fundraising if you don't want to. Bring a base senior feed if you want to. But if you would like to ride per mile, you will be able to print out from one of three charities that we're going to have on the website later on. But let's just use the horse foundation for an example. If someone riding a 25LD got 25 people to pledge a dollar per mile, think about that. If you could get 25 people to pledge a dollar per mile, and that would that'd be over $600 that you would be raising on your LD. Now imagine if that was a 50. But let's just stick with the 25 LD and stick with the Horse Welfare Foundation. That's over $600. Now, if 10 people did that, it's over $6,000. Do you see where I'm going with this? I just, I think that... There's power in numbers. I think that it's great that we all get together and ride. But for some reason, I just had this vision about War Horse, and I realize I'm rambling on here. But I also briefly mentioned the other non-horse, non-veteran-related charity, and that is a water relief charity through Hand of Hope. And for $1,200, they can build a new well in another part of the world that doesn't have fresh drinking water. So that's a charity that's also really close to my heart and that Jim and I have donated to. So if just two riders that were riding LD got together, got 25 sponsors each for a dollar per mile, that's a well that we could have dug in another country for people who don't have drinking water. Now, for me, just imagine riding that 25 miles knowing that that's what you were doing. It just gives a whole different purpose to the ride. And I'm not saying all rides should do this, that all rides could do this, or that all ride managers would even want to take that on. And I may be in for a rude awakening because this is my first time doing this. But if somebody else would like to run with that idea, I would like to keep the name Warhorse, so don't take the name. But if you would like to take the idea of raising money for a charity, you know, stay tuned. We'll see how it works out if I can do the per mile thing. I have to talk to the DNR, make sure that's okay. And uh, I'm going to be very particular that, you know, the the checks has to be checks made out to the charity. It can't be made out to the person or to us or to the ride. It needs to be made out to the charity that was on the pledge sheet. And so I think that way that'll streamline things and make handling the funds way easier. So that's my story. And I know it's kind of a big thing that we're taking on. Like I said, I might be in for a rude awakening. It might not work out very well, but stay tuned. Stay happy. Stay awesome. Uh, If you can, ride far, ride well, ride often. If you can't, just go out and snuggle your horse and give him a peppermint. Talk to you later. Bye now.